Hey there, conductors. If you've ever felt that you're not quite sure what to do next when you're studying a score, maybe you don't even know where to start with a difficult piece. Maybe you study one piece too much and then you realize at the first rehearsal that you don't know another one well enough. Or maybe you're a new conductor and you don't know what score study is. I'm excited to share that I'm finally publishing and sharing my score study checklist. I've been refining this for 12 years now, and I'm so excited to share it. It is going to walk you through my structure, my process to make sure that I learn every score that I need to learn well enough and so that nothing falls through the cracks. So it covers everything that you need to know. There's a link in the show notes. Go ahead and click it, sign up, and you'll get that score study checklist sent right to your email. You'll also get access to an eight-minute video of me explaining what each section is and how I use it to organize all the music that I need to learn. It's only eight minutes, so it's not going to take you a whole hour to learn how to study better, how to put up a process for your score study and how to make sure that nothing is falling through the cracks. So again, click the link in the show notes, and I hope to see you soon. Now, please enjoy this episode of Podium Time. Hi there. Welcome to Podium Time. This is Jeremy. I just wanted to introduce this episode a little bit. We are talking with our friend Cheret Schiebers. Uh, I've known Cheret for about three years, and I think I've got his first name down, but I, you know, I never actually found out how to say his last name, so I hope I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. This episode was originally supposed to be a discussion with the three of us, just kind of talking lightly about score study, but very quickly it turned into a really a good discussion and more of an interview with him kind of about his philosophy and and really understanding uh what your what your players and what your singers are feeling as they're going through a work I wanted to remind listeners that you can get in touch with us through email or Facebook. Um, I run all the email off the website, and Luke runs the Facebook page. So whoever you'd like to say hi to, go ahead. Um, we'd love any feedback. We're still, you know, we're still starting as podcasters. I've been listening to podcasts for a couple of years, but this is the first one that I've ever actually, uh, you know, edited and and put together. And I'm sure that's pretty that's pretty obvious. But but we're learning. I think we're getting we're getting better. I'd like to give a shout out to to one listener who emailed us last week and really brightened up my week. Uh, so thank you, thank you, Caleb, for your uh, for your kind words. Um, I want to remind everyone to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That'll just help more people see it, more help more people benefit from it. Like us on Facebook, and you can join our mailing list to get every episode sent directly to your inbox and nothing else. We don't send any spam or anything, and there's a link to that on the website. Also, just you know, share the podcast with anything when you might benefit. We're we're pretty young and we can't really afford any advertising, so that's really the way that we're gonna get get more people listening and be able to get more interviews out to you. Uh, so, without further ado, here's our discussion with Cheret. Cheret, your picture is so cute. <laughs> what picture? I can't really remember what my picture is. It's like old, and you're in a tux, and it's kind of like angled. It's diagonal. Oh. <laughs> that is very old. Yes. Yeah. Well, not that old, actually. I think it's five, six years ago. Well, that's old for Jeremy. I was in high school. <laughs> oh, God. I was 25. I was older than what you are now, Jeremy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, Bertha's recording. Bertha's recording. Her name is Pamela. Luke. Whatever. She's a beautiful lady. She's like a little, little pink circle with a P in it. Looks like a flower. And I paid ten dollars for it. <laughs> for her. For her, yes, excuse me, you're right. Yeah, so today we're gonna just kinda chat a little bit about score study. Luke and I are joined by our friend 
Would you say your first name for us? Khadet. Khadet, yes, yes. I won't lie. I literally can never say it right. I'm sorry. Well, that's why I asked. That's why I asked Khadet to, <laughs> to pronounce it for us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am a musician, just like you guys. I'm in the in the choral conducting field, busy with my my doctorate at the University of Washington, and um, I will hopefully be graduating in the next couple of years with my DMA in choral conducting. And I want to teach for a living at uh, collegiate level, so we'll see and take it from there. Yeah, and we wanted to we wanted to have somebody with a different, um, I guess, background. Like you said, you're in you're in choral conducting, and we're both in orchestral, and all our guests have been or in, in orchestral. And we thought, especially for score study, you know, conducting and, and preparing to work with voices is going to be very very different on some levels and similar on some levels. Yeah, I think it's it's actually more similar than it is different, but but you're right, there are some slight differences in, in, in preparing a score for, let's say, just a choral work where there's no orchestra involved. But I think the three main things that I do across the board, that's the same for both orchestra, when I prepare orchestral score or a, a um, choral score, is I always start by, and this is nothing new, but just getting an oral concept or like an inner hearing of the structure of the piece. So basically I will pick up a work and um, basically just page through it in silence and see what information I can gain from what's on the page without hearing any sounds or you know playing through on the piano, just see what the score can tell me. You know the info that's on, on the on the cover page, the info that's um, within the score, the dynamics, and then also things like historical background, and 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 try and build a picture or an oral concept inside my head before I even start. So that's that's the first main area I would say, and then the second area that I move to then as a conductor is maybe problems for conducting. And what I will do once again in silence is just, you know, conduct through the piece and see if there are any obstacles for me as a conductor, maybe. And then based on that, develop a system of, of marking. And the interesting thing about that, and this is, can easily be a whole, you know, another conversation on its own, is, you know, how often it can change, you know, what system you're using and, and, and as you develop as a musician and a conductor, you know, how your systems of marking the score can change. So, you know, based on you conducting through and maybe identifying some problem spots or things that you need to remind yourself of during the rehearsal process or even in concert, um, you know, develop a marking system and mark the score. And, and we can talk a little later about that. And then the next step, the like almost the third step, is maybe problems to expect in the in, in the rehearsal. What I do, for instance, for my singers is then I will go through and try and sing all the parts and see if there are maybe possible spots where I can identify that the singers might struggle with um, and then mark those. And then having gone through all these three like bigger sections... I can then go back and, and start with the, the, the smaller things and um, 
then maybe maybe listen to a recording, play it through the piano, and and then take it like layer by layer. One thing you mentioned is is singing the parts, and I've always been a bit a bit jealous of of choral directors because you can you know you can sing through the parts and you can get an idea of what it actually is to you know to perform that. Um, I can I can play through a flute part on my violin, but it's gonna be it's gonna be a very different experience for the flute player to actually to actually do that. So I really I really like how how connected you're able to get with your with your musicians on a different level. Yeah, that is that is definitely a, a advantage that we have as singers. Um, and um, interesting enough, the program that I'm currently in um, for my DMA, we are focusing a lot on that. Um, Exactly that that issue of understanding what what the singers might be experiencing, and even though I'm a male singer and you know it's a soprano part or alto part or a bass part, even just transferring it up or down the octave or just physically knowing what it might feel when the singers sing this interval, you don't necessarily have to be able to sing exactly the part. Um, in their octave, obviously I can't, you know, I can do it in my falsetto if I want to try, but just knowing that what, what are some of the possible sensations that the singers might experiencing singing this phrase helps a lot in determining, you know, my gesture, what gesture I might be using or what vocabulary I might be using or words I might be using to express what I want or to convey the mood or what what we want as an ensemble from from this section, so it, it definitely helps knowing knowing the parts and being able to at least to to for the most part just to be able to sing through all the parts. It, it's it's really important, and you can just assist your singers much better um, knowing what to expect. So as as orchestral conductors, you know, we study obviously we study orchestral scores a lot, but you know, if we are preparing something with vocal. Um, you know, like a, a, a masterwork that has a choir involved. Um, what's something that you you what's what's the most what would you say is one of the most important things that we might not think about when approaching a score with voice? Um, breath is really important. I know it's it's really important for orchestral conductors as well. But I think the two main things that that really makes vocal scores, I think, maybe a bit more. Not, not challenging, but um, for, for orchestra conductors is the fact of word stress, and uh, because it's not necessarily always going to be you know a hard and fast rule you know on beat one or three or whatever the case may be. So just knowing uh, the word stress of a certain language, and a lot of the times it's in Latin, but um, you know just having a grasp of the uh, like a basic grasp of, of the language that's being sung. So that you can can um, know what the word stress are, and then the appropriate breath for all the phrases as well, and knowing the, the the correct word stresses that will also inform how you prepare your orchestra, knowing you know maybe where where the singers are gonna or have to have to phrase off, you know that will inform how you go through the rehearsal process with your orchestra, and how you maybe accent or phrase their music underlying the vocal score. So I think that's really important is to a lot of orchestral conductors that I've worked before, you know, tend to neglect that um, 
you know, the correct word stress and, and phrasing in, in, the, in the vocal parts. That is, that is really, really important. Yeah, and that depends on the language also. Yeah, that's why I say it, it differs from language to language. So um, just to, you know, get a basic grasp of what's being sung, that's also really important, you know, a word-for-word translation, not even just a poetic translation, because a lot of the time that is going to affect you know, the type of you know timbre you're going to ask from the orchestra to play at a certain moment or at a certain chord, or it's going to affect the balance, or it's going to affect your artistic decision. Is just you know what's the meaning of the word that's being sung on that moment. So it, it's it's really important, and you know even though you might not have the time necessarily to to you know learn the language, or you're not you know as familiar with the language. Get a, you know, maybe get if you're at the university set up in a university set up, you know, get maybe someone from the, you know, Russian department or the Italian, the European language department to come and help with the Italian or the German or, or whatever it may be. But it, I think it's really important. I think the the end product can be just so much more special, you know, if 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 you go into that little detail of, you know, knowing what's being sung and and that definitely affects the, the the finer things in the orchestra as well and then the product putting it together you know the choir with the orchestra i think it, it, it can be just a way more profound experience if if one as a conductor gives attention to that so so is there like so for instance for someone like me uh part of an important part of orchestral conducting is you know the string section given that they make up over half of you know your orchestra um and as not being a a string player something that I've had to take upon myself to to learn is this aspect of string bowing and how the bow affects you know the sound quality that you're going to get from you know the entire string ensemble um and of course we have various books and stuff that teach about this whole aspect of string playing. Are there any books or, you know, things, tools that you have that you would, you know, maybe suggest that we might look up? Yes. I don't think uh, that there are nearly as much, as as many books written uh, on, on, on score study for choral conducting as is written on, you know, score study for orchestral purposes. But uh, one one author that comes to mind that I think it's it's, it's really good to have is um, James Jordan has written I cannot recall call the the title of the book but he has done some um, writing on on score study uh, for um, uh, choir scores choral scores but also okay orchestral scores so I would definitely recommend to um, look into James James Jordan yeah. We'll, we'll link. We'll we'll find a link to that in the show notes, Luke. I think I I would think uh, one thing that would help a lot is just you know singing, you know singing in a choir or or, or singing through the parts like I said earlier. I think there's oh, yeah. there's not much that can that can replace just the experience of being within the group. Yeah, I think no, no, that's definitely definitely true, and I think it same goes for for orchestral conductors or aspiring orchestral conductors. Is um, you know you you can learn a lot of things from books and in conducting class, but I think some of the most important things 
that I've learned as a, as a choral conductor is just by watching my mentors singing in a group or in a choir or in an ensemble and just watching, you know, what works and what does not work and, you know, possible solutions, you know, uh, what works faster and, you know, how to fix things and what what's the most efficient way of getting a certain sound or a certain affect from the singers. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's really important to, to, you know, I think the best way to, 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 you know, acquire a skill or learn something is just to, you know, sing in a choir, even if it's just a community choir or, you know, a church choir, but, you know, try and determine if you can join a group somewhere and, you know, just sing for, for, a, for a couple seasons. I think you will definitely benefit from that. I tried to get Luke to join men's chorus with me when I was in it at Missouri State, but he wouldn't. Uh, hey, in my defense, <laughs> I sang in choir for my first three years. Okay. Okay. I have sung in choir. I just, I have a terrible voice. You don't want me in choir. <laughs> Harold, Harold Farman would disagree with you, Luke. <laughs> oh, a <laughs> very funny, yes. Freaking hilarious. Yeah, do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want to share that briefly? No. Oh my god. <laughs> so on the second day, was it the first or the second day? I think it was the second it day. Was the second day. The second day of Barn last year, we had to conduct and uh, and sing with Harold Farberman in the room, and it was just that. Um, <laughs> and just and, you, your score, your baton, and, and stand, and your <laughs> and you voice. Sing Schubert eight, and so on the second on the second day of the five week workshop, Farman asked, asked Luke, "What do you say? Do you do you sing much?" I don't remember yeah. what he said. Okay, Jeremy, you're telling us all wrong. Yeah, Hold yeah, on. yeah. So I get up there. You know, at this point, I am still very, very. I think I'd only been conducting for what four months at this point. So, <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing in the first place. I still don't have any idea what I was doing, but definitely had less an idea. And I get up, and Maestro Farberman was a very nice man, very knowledgeable, uh, but very hard. <laughs> and so I got up, and I was so nervous, and I conducted, I sang, and I, was, I got through it, we'll put it that way. And I got to, uh, when I was finished, he just looks at me, and he's sitting over in the corner with his legs crossed, just nice old man. And he just looks at me, and with this very nice voice, he's like, has anyone ever told you that you have a nice voice? And I'm just like, okay, this is weird. But I was like, no, I don't think so. He's like, well, you do. I was like, thank you. And, he, and he's like, you should consider becoming a singer instead of a conductor. <laughs> oh, all I could think about was, oh my God, I have five weeks with this man, and he already told me that he doesn't want me to be a conductor. This is great. Uh, I think it's really, really important to. It, it, it's a good thing to to force oneself to sing, 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 even if it's, it's the you know an instrumental part. Um, we do it a lot of the times when we do a bigger master work where there's an orchestra involved. We are asked to sing the cello part or uh, you know, sing the oboe line. And, and the reason for that is your voice is part of you. So I think it's just so much easier to, by through singing, to internalize the sensation and the feeling and the mood that you want from a, from a certain section. So that is, I think that's, 
that's the main reason for me why I try and sing as much as possible. Or if I go through a score, you know, and and okay, why do I want to the 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 horns in this section? You know, how do I want them to express this this phrase or this mood or this feeling? Let me try and sing it. And a lot of the times, it's you know, it's 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 easier to sing something to one of your sections in the orchestra or in the choir than to verbally explain to them what you want um, or to show show them what you want. And then also another part of that is by singing it, I think it will inform your gesture. Mm-hmm. So, so instead of thinking, okay, this is how I need to conduct this bar or this phrase, Think about it the other way around. Sing it a couple of times. Sing it different times, uh, the different ways, and and with different breaths and different phrasings, and and see what do you like, what do you think is the most natural, and then sing it then again, and then conduct as you sing, and then slowly but surely, you know, fade away with the singing, and then you end up just conducting without thinking or telling your body, this is how I need to conduct. You just naturally conduct what your body was feeling when you were singing. So I think that's why it's, it's, it's important to, for us as, as conductors, and I say conductors, not orchestral conductors or choral conductors, just as conductors overall, to be able to try and sing. Um, and it doesn't have to necessarily be beautiful, but just to sing the phrase, sing the music, sing the part because that will inform your, it will help with your gesture to make it as natural as possible. Yeah, so uh, how Dr. Kelch uh, runs our conducting seminars here is that we don't play, we, I, we don't conduct with like a pianist or, you know, a chamber group. We just conduct by singing. Um, because uh, by, Dr. Kelch likes to say that by vocalizing the part, it creates intent. Uh, you're creating intent of what you want to hear, um, and that that intent should be evident through your gesture. And so, by making you know by making what you're singing match what you're showing, um, it helps internalize. Like you said, you know when when you are no longer singing, you know even though you're not singing it anymore, you're still able to to internally hear and know what you want because you've done it so much yourself. Yes. Yeah. That that that's that's totally correct. It it needs to be organic. It needs to come with with from within, and then going outward. It's it it's not like you're imposing your gesture on a piece of paper or on the music. It should be totally the other way around. The music should be completely part of you, inside you, inside your head, inside your heart, inside your body, like your whole body, and then from the inside outwards it needs to go to your gesture so that's why it's 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 really important to 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 do that with you know and you can start as early as you know the in the in the score prep the score studying it should start there already um and then carry on all the way through up until you you know your first rehearsal with your ensemble so what are your what do your scores physically look like how much actual marking do you do in them do you have a system for that so, yeah, so like I said, um, how it changed, I used to be very clean, and what I mean by that is I didn't like a score with two, two, two uh, you know, that's 
too full of markings and stuff. So what I what I used to do is I I took a yardstick and I learned this from my from my previous mentor um where I did my masters and I basically just marked like phrases. So I would take a yardstick and uh, if I'm thinking now for orchestral score, but this can totally work for um just a vocal score as well, like a choral score. Um, I would draw a line through all the staves and I would mark my big phrases and then I would number it like, for instance, two phrases of four bars or three phrases of... So I basically just mark the phrasing in my score and I would mark um, difficult entries, so entries that I might miss um, and everything of this just in pencil. But moving now to my DMA program, I'm exploring a different system. It's much more colorful. And um, we are also, uh, I'm also incorporating um, a lot of Laban gestures. It's a, it's a whole different topic. But so, so my, my current scores are much more colorful. I still do the, the phrasing, the, the phrase markings. Um, I would, for instance, color code my score, for instance, uh, all my, my loud sounds, my fortes, my crescendos will be marked in red, my decrescendos will, and diminuendos will be marked in, in blue, um, all other phrase markings will be in, in green, for instance, um, things like accents will also be either in red or, or, or orange, so I have this color code, code system, and that can differ from person to person. It's a very personal thing as long as you are consistent. That's the most important thing. So, because when you open the score, you must immediately know, okay, I need to crescendo here. Oh, it's an accent. Oh, it's a breath or, or whatever the case may be. So as long as you're consistent, you know, the choosing the colors are completely up to you. And then I have also, like I've mentioned, for the, the Laban, which is a totally different topic, uh, different signs of what kind of uh, breaths or resonance spaces, and this is more applicable to singers, but you know what kind of breaths and resonance spaces I want to use for certain entrances and certain onsets and, and certain voice groups as well, So which I'm also marked in the score. So at the moment... Um, I'm going through this phase of experimenting, so my my scores are way more busy than they used to be, and um, but yeah, so one goes through stages and, and it changes uh, when you come across new systems. You try it out and experiment with them, and um, but yeah, so I would say that's at the moment where I'm at with my my marking my scores. Mm-hmm. So I've. I've been doing this whole past year. I've been I've been also making very colorful scores, marking every all the fortes and pianos. And um, we use uh, Meister Kenny has has us use uh, highlighters for accents. Um, so he has, he has this whole system with a lot of marking. I've found that, especially since our since our conversation with Mondorano um, and our discussion about getting the score in your head instead of. Uh, you know, putting things into the score, I, I found that I was doing a lot of marking in my score, but none of it was actually sticking inside me. And so I was kind of conducting this very shallow, um, this really shallow idea of the score. Um, so I think it's interesting that you've, as, as you've developed, you're your, your marking more, because I've, I've actually recently 
for my own sake because I learned I, I wasn't really learning the music I was just putting things into the score I've, I've actually been kind of pulling back on how much I'm putting in the score and trying trying to put more of it in my head and then spending less time on the marking and more time on on trying to internalize it and I think that's what a lot of young conductors and students miss is the whole purpose of marking a score to learn the score yeah, a part of it is maybe to remind you during a performance, um, you know, when when the anxiety is maybe a little higher, you know, to remind you of certain entries and certain things. But actually, for the most part, by the time the performance comes, you know the score basically memorized. Even though you might still conduct the concert with the score in front of you, you know the score memorized, and that's the whole purpose of marking the score and that's why I would encourage young conductors to rather overmark your score than undermark the score is it just helps you to memorize the score quicker and like you've mentioned there also must be a purpose with a marking um, so if you're consistent and you are marking the score you know with a purpose, I think you can benefit a lot from that. It really helps with the whole process of, you know, memorizing the score and getting the music in your head, off of the page and in your head and literally part of your body. Um, because that's, that's really, really um, important. And is study something that you, that you schedule in or does it, is it kind of an ongoing process whenever you have time? Is it, you know, is it, is it kind of scheduled like practice? How do you see that? I, I wish I had more time to make it a scheduled thing. I try as far as possible to do that. So it's not necessarily only what I'm busy with currently, but if I have time and there's maybe a score that I know that I want to do in the future or that, I, that I've that i heard in a concert or um, that I yeah like want to perform in the near future, I try, if I have time, to acquire a score or buy a score and then actually start studying the score, like listening with the recording and going through this whole process, you know, making markings, try out different interpretations and, and you know, prepare it as far as possible, but not nearly as 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 often as I want to do that. I think it, it is important to, to, especially when you're younger, to try and do as much score study as possible, even though it's not necessarily something that you're currently performing, but just to to be in that habit and to stay in that habit of, of it's like a language. It's like learning how to, how to process because as, as you progress with that, it, it becomes easier. It becomes quicker because it's like a system that you are acquiring and that's working for you. And it's just helping to process all the knowledge and all the information quicker. Yeah. So to answer you, um, I do have a system. I at least, you know, once once every other day for half an hour to an hour, I take a score and I really intensively try and, and study it. Luke, have you been able to have a, a schedule this year? <laughs> I, honestly, I have. This year has been a just absolutely mad. I, I'm not taking a lot of classes, actually, but which is actually working out really well because Dr. Kelts wants me to learn as much literature this semester as I can. So it's required a lot of time um, doing score studies. So 
you know, I, I work, I work early mornings a few days a week. So I try to keep that morning schedule. And so I wouldn't say it's a set schedule, but at least three or four times a week I get up and I, I have to put in at least a good, uh, three or four hours of doing score study, uh, in the morning before I have rehearsals and stuff. Because if, if I don't, I'm just going to fall behind just because I have so much that I, I'm working on. Um, and it's not, it's kind of like, uh, what Harriet said as far as like, I'm not, it's not stuff I'm, I'm going to be performing, but it's stuff I need to know. So, um, just spending the time looking at these scores and doing phrase markings and dynamics and, and then, uh, I bring them in and, uh, I try to conduct them for Dr. Kelts and get comments. Uh, so even if it's not stuff I'm actually like going to be conducting in a recital or whatever, it's there's just a lot I'm doing. So I kind of have to force myself to have a lot of time to do a lot of score study. But it's been great. I, I feel like I'm so much more focused this year than I've ever been. I think because I'm doing so much keeps me. Uh, I'm too busy not to be focused. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's been something. Something I sometimes. I look at being a conductor is so hard because as, as a, as a, before I, you know, started conducting as a horn player, you know, uh, uh, instrumentalist, it's so simple. You, you go to classes and then you practice. Practice is what you do. Practice is, you know, warm ups and scales and etudes and excerpts, solos. You have this, that thing that you can so easily just uh, put into a routine. I, I, I've been struggling this semester a lot with um, what does it mean to practice as a conductor? Like what, what equates to practice time for me? Because there's so much that I find is, is equally important. Uh, is, is time spent listening? Is that considered practice? Is that, is that conducting practice? Is score study practice? Is actually like practicing the physicality of conducting? Is that practice? So I've, I've kind of been struggling with that and, um, trying to figure out a balance between everything. You know, I think score study is super important, but as fresh and green of a conductor as I am, I think I, I do have to spend a lot of time working on the physicality of what I, what I'm doing to make sure I'm clear. I don't know. Sorry. I just started rambling. <laughs> no, and it, we, we do have a very amorphous profession. Um, yeah, you're right. You can, if, if, if you're practicing your instrument, you can walk in and your teacher tells you exactly what to do and you do it for the next lesson. And you can, you know, you can really see and you can hear and you can feel that literal progress. And this is something else we talked about with Monterano about like conducting lessons is you can see the physicality, but that's not the same as conducting with a group. And that's not the same as, um, you know, you can't see the, uh, the image and the understanding and the, um, and the, the whole of the music in your mind. The physical conducting is, is just one way that you can see it, but there are so many other aspects um, that are really internal. Yeah, well, and it's like you know, the other day, uh, Alexander and I came over, and we had had a, a pretty we had a pretty long week, and so I wanted us to be able to, to do something that I felt was educational and still relevant to us as conductors, but you know, kind of be able to take a step back 
from the actual conducting aspect of it. And so we watched some documentaries on the Berlin Digital Concert Hall um, library of, you know, different conductors. And I won't lie, sometimes I feel guilty when I do stuff like that because I'm like, wait, this isn't score study. This isn't, I'm not practicing my conducting. Is this, is this relevant? But then, I, then you know, it, there's so many, I feel like we, we can learn so much from watching, you know, the past great conductors and listening to what they have to say about music and that I, I do think it's important and I shouldn't feel guilty for doing that, but I do sometimes, I won't lie. Yeah, I also, I almost feel guilty anytime I'm not, <laughs> not studying. Like, even something just listening to music, I'm like, ah, I should, I've got a lot of stuff to learn. Yeah, well, I, a, a really important question to ask ourselves as conductors is if, if we can sum it up in, like, one sentence or one idea, you know, what 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 is the purpose of conductor? It is to convey the music as honestly as possible together with your ensemble to the audience. Now, that's a very, very difficult task because, you know, you have to, through your gesture, convey that honesty. And it can be different from person to person, interpretation-wise, but the thing is, as long as it's true to yourself or true to the music or honest and and there's some sort of sincerity. Now, how you acquire that is, as all these other things we do outside, whether it's standing in front of a mirror and conducting, reading up on the texts, if it's a choral piece or a masterwork with texts involved, you know, doing research about the history, listening to, I don't know, the great conductors, different interpretations, all these different facets and, and ideas and influences, when that all comes together, you know, that is very difficult, but then you as a conductor have to make sense out of all these things, all of these avenues and things that you've gone down to, to try and, you know, study the piece. You now have to make sense to convey that as honestly as possible to the singers and through the singers to the audience with being still being clear, you know, and I think that is, that is the biggest challenge. And that, that brings me to, you know, the whole, just the whole idea of, of body mapping. It's just knowing your body, knowing what, you know, the whole, we, we also mentioned earlier um, in our discussion, you know, the gesture equals sound, just knowing, you know, what sound am I going to get with, the different gestures and the different parts of my body and how I move, how quick, how fast, you know, and and that is also such an, an, an individual thing that that's something that cannot necessarily be taught to someone. I mean, you can a, a mentor or a teacher can can lead you and guide you and say, okay, this looks better, this works better, um, but for a you know, for the for the greater part, conducting, I think it's it's a very personal thing, and it's a very challenging thing to. Um, it's not easy to to um, 
to get to that place where you know your body exactly 100% and what you're going to get gesture-wise. And I think that is our challenge. We need to challenge ourselves every day and see what can I do better? What can I do um, to, to be clearer to, and, and as to strip away any extra things but still be sincere and as effective as possible um, in conveying the music? That was some wisdom right there. That I was, was good. just going to say, <laughs> I was going to be like, wow, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, a lot to think about, but I think it's really important. And, you know, you can do just, you know, once once a day for five minutes and and sit down and think, you know, what can I do to improve that? Because being a conductor is a very vulnerable thing as well. You're basically opening yourself to 60, 70 people in your orchestra or your choir or even ensemble as small as 12 people or a mass choir as, as big as, you know, 300 people. You know, you are opening your soul, your most inner, deepest feelings to those people through your inter- interpretation of the music. And that's something very private and, and very individual and very sacred, I almost want to say in a way. So, and that takes a lot from a, from a conductor to be able to, to stand in front of a group and say, Hey, you know, this is me. This is who I am. Um, let's walk this, this path together. Let's, let's make music together. And, and, I think audience members they can tell when 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 something is not quite right within an ensemble. Um, they there's just there's just something about an ensemble when there's this whole aspect of being sincere and honest, and I mean it, you can tell that so easily but the thing is it's very difficult to pinpoint what exactly contributes to that feeling of oh the group is making this music from the heart with honesty and with sincerity and and that's something that I think we need to strive for performance to performance I would even go as far as saying rehearsal to rehearsal and just try and and make the music from you know from from within from your heart and sometimes it will work and sometimes it won't. There's a lot of things that, you know, contribute to that. Um, but at least try, at least aspire to that and see where that, you know, might lead you. Another wisdom bomb. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we talk more often? Lord. Yes, yeah, I agree. I don't know. It's because we live in like three... Different time zones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we just need we just need someone in like on the east coast now. We'll have four. That that would be cool. Yeah. It's when we were talking about this, putting this together, we were trying to try to we wanted you know we wanted to get someone who who focused on choral, and we wanted to get someone who focused on band, just so we had the whole the whole gamut of of um, you know ideas. Yeah, I think it's 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 a good idea because um, we as choral conductors we also have some you know 
unfamiliar territory when we go to you know orchestral scores if if I can think you know on top of my head of something for instance the couple of, of bigger masterworks that I've conducted um, for instance like for a choral score you know SATB soprano alto tenor bass there's some structure always you know piano will be underneath the vocal scores you know if there's maybe some solo instrument most of instrument most of the time it will be on top top of the score top of the vocal staffs same thing with orchestra there is a system but if i for instance look at at uh, for instance percussion i mean you guys know that's that's one section that's not always in order i mean there's not necessarily it depends on what percussion instruments you have you know yes it might be at the at the same place in the score every time but you know the order is is different from piece to piece. So that's, for instance, as a choral conductor, something that I really tend to is is the percussion parts. If there are percussion parts, is to uh, play pay extra attention to that and see the scoring of the percussion. Then also something that I I pay attention to, is, um, but this goes across the board, choral conducting and orchestral conducting is measures with fermatas. I mean, it sounds as simple as the next thing, but that is really important. Knowing what kind of fermata you're going to show, depending on the mood of the music, and then being absolutely confident in your gesture, how you're going to show the different fermatas. And, it, and, it's, and it's difficult if it's a bigger group or if there are more than one fermata in a bar, you know, when it's different instruments or choir instruments. So, that's something that I pay extra attention to. And then, you know, certain things to also make make the whole learning process or teaching process easier is um, things like doublings, you know, or, or sections that are exactly the same, maybe. And like maybe it's just in a canon, but, you know, let's say the strings play the exact same rhythm as the, you know, the winds or, you know, if I... Um, look at a choral score, let's say, oh, the basses are singing exactly the same as the altos, just two bars apart. Things like that. So to, to identify that and maybe teach the rhythm or the, the melody or something to all the groups at once, you know, and, and so there are ways to to focus on things in the score that might be out of the norm, you know, or not something that's always the same. Um, so I always pay attention to that. Well, thanks for, for inviting me, guys. We should do it more often. Yeah, we're really glad you're able to join us today. Yeah. Well, good luck with your, your, your studies. I still have a, a week before I start. So, um, But yeah, good luck and good luck with the rest of the year. So. Yeah, you as well. You as well. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Podium Time. I hope you really enjoyed it. You can find all of our episodes and show notes on podiumtimepod.wordpress.com. Contact us on Facebook. Find us on the website. Leave us a comment. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, or don't. That's fine, too. Have a good day. Have a good weekend. Thanks for listening.